Chapter 3 of The Tavern Knight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Cornwall. The Tavern Knight by Raphael Sabatini. Chapter 3 The Letter. It was with a countenance sadly dejected that Crispin returned to his chamber and sat himself wearily upon the bed. With elbows on his knees and chin in his palms, he stared straight before him, the usual steely brightness of his gray eyes dulled by the despondency that sat upon his face and drew deep furrows down his fine brow. With a sigh he arose at last and idly fingered the papers he had taken from the pocket of Kenneth's coat. As he did so, his glance was arrested by the signature at the foot of one. Gregory Ashburn was the name he read. Ashen grew his cheeks as his eyes fastened upon that name, whilst the hand, to which no peril ever brought a tremor, shook now like an aspen. Feverishly he spread the letter on his knee, and with a glance from dull that it had been, grown of a sudden fierce and cruel, he read the contents. Dear Kenneth, again I write in the hope that I may prevail upon you to quit Scotland and your attachment to a king whose fortunes prosper not, nor can prosper. Cynthia is pining, and if you tarry longer from Castle Marleigh, she must perforce thank you but a laggard lover. Then this I have no more powerful argument wherewith to draw you from Perth to Sheringham, but this I think should prevail where others have failed me. We await you then, and whilst we can we daily drink your health. Cynthia commends herself to your memory, as doth my brother, and soon we hope to welcome you at Castle Marleigh. Believe, my dear Kenneth, that whilst I am, I am yours in affection. Gregory Ashburn Twice Crispin read the letter through. Then with set teeth and straining eyes he sat lost in thought. Here indeed was a strange chance. This boy whom he had met at Perth, and enrolled in his company, was a friend of Ashburn's, the lover of Cynthia. Who might this Cynthia be? Long and deep were his ponderings upon the unfathomable ways of fate, for fate he now believed was here at work to help him, revealing herself by means of this sign even at the very moment when he decried his luck. In memory he reviewed his meeting with the lad in the yard of Perth Castle a fourth night ago. Something in the boy's bearing, in his air, had caught Crispin's eye. He looked him over, then approached, and bluntly asked his name, and on what business he was come there. The youth had answered him civilly enough that he was Kenneth Stuart of Balanaki, and that he would come to offer his sword to the king. Thereupon he had interested himself in the lad's behalf, and had gained him a lieutenancy in his own company. Why he was attracted to a youth on whom never before had he set eyes was a matter that puzzled him not a little. Now he held, he thought, the explanation of it. It was the way of fate. This boy was sent into his life by a heaven that at last showed compassion for the deep wrongs he had suffered. Sent him as a key wherewith, should the need occur, to open him the gates of Castle Marleigh. In long strides he paced the chamber, turning the matter over in his mind. Aye, he would use the lad should the need arise. Why scruple? Had he ever received aught but disdain and scorn at the hands of Kenneth? Day was breaking ere he sought his bed, and already the sun was up, when at length he fell into a troubled sleep, vowing that he would mend his wild ways and seek to gain the boy's favor against the time when he might have need of him. When later he restored the papers to Kenneth, explaining to what use he had put the coat, 
He refrained from questioning him concerning Gregory Ashburn. The docility of his mood on that occasion came as a surprise to Kenneth, who set it down to Sir Crispin's desire to conciliate him into silence, touching the harboring of Hogan. In that same connection, Crispin showed him calmly and clearly that he could not now inform without involving himself to an equally dangerous extent. And partly through the fears of this, partly won over by Crispin's persuasions, the lad determined to hold his peace. Nor had he cause to regret it thereafter, for throughout that tedious march he found his roistering companion singularly meek and kindly. Indeed, he seemed a different man. His old swagger and roaring bluster disappeared. He drank less, diced less, blasphemed less, and stormed less than in the old days before the halt at Penrith. But rode, a silent, thoughtful figure, so self-contained and of so godly a mien, as would have rejoiced the heart of the sourest Puritan. The wild tenivity boy had vanished, and the sobriquet of tavern night was fast becoming a misnomer. Kenneth felt drawn more towards him, deeming him a penitent that had seen at last the error of his ways. And thus things prevailed until the most triumphal entry into the city of Worcester on the 23rd of August. End of chapter 3 Recorded by Rick Cornwall